This reading is taken from Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 to 9 from the Good News translation of the Bible. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seeds. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what it was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel reading is a very familiar story, one of Jesus' most famous parables. If you're a gardener, and many people seem to have taken up gardening during lockdown, then you probably know all too well the scenario Jesus describes. You start out hopefully sowing your seeds in little seed trays or out in the garden, just as the gardening gurus tell you to. You wait and you watch. Soon, if you're lucky, some energetic little seedlings poke their heads out of the earth. Success! But not so fast. As the weeks go by, some shrivel and die. Some are overcome by weeds. Even if you mollycoddle them indoors until they're sturdy little plants, the first night you plant them out, chances are they'll be reduced to ribbons by slugs or caterpillars or birds or rabbits or dug up by cats or squirrels or another of God's wonderful creatures who, quite reasonably from their perspective, look on them as a generous gift that you put there just for their benefit. It's enough to drive you to despair. It was ever thus. As the old saying goes, one for the rook, one for the crow, one to rot and one to grow. Jesus' description of the wide varieties of ways a crop can fail is something every one of his listeners would have been familiar with, just as we are. And yet there's something odd about his little story. And as a gardener myself, it's glaringly obvious when you spot it. Frankly, this sower sounds a bit daft. What's he doing sowing seed on a path and in the thorny ground or among the rocks? Surely he knows his land. He knows where the path is. He can see that some of the land is rocky. And those thorns, according to the Greek original of the Gospel, are acanthus plants. Bear's breeches is their common name. They're huge, tough perennials. You can't miss them if you've got them. I can imagine Jesus' audience shaking their heads in bewilderment. In fact, the whole scenario is a bit comical. It's over the top. If this sower is meant to represent God, what does it say about him? What kind of person behaves like this, let alone an all-knowing deity? They were quite right if they were asking those questions. Humanly speaking, this sower is acting stupidly because human resources are limited. 
If we're sensible, we take care of what we do with our resources. We ration them out, whether they're seeds or time or money or love. We're afraid we'll run out if we don't. You can only behave like this sower if you know your resources are limitless, infinite. God, says Jesus, throws his love around with reckless abandon because there is no end to his love. He doesn't need to ration it out, only planting it in lives that are perfect. He lets it fall wherever it will, in the joyful hope that one stray seed might just find a gap among the weeds or an unseen pocket of richer soil between the rocks or be missed by the birds and grow on the path anyway. This story is meant to sound a bit ridiculous, like many of Jesus' other parables. We often read them in a po-faced, serious way, and we miss that. But what kind of shepherd abandons 99 perfectly good sheep in the wilderness to go after one who's been daft enough to wander off? What kind of father gives half his money away to his prodigal son, and when he wastes it on parties, welcomes him back again without a word of I told you so. How does he know that he won't just sell the robe and the ring he's been given and do it all over again? How does he know that his son has really learned his lesson? He doesn't, is the answer, but the father does it anyway because he loves him. Jesus tells stories again and again of a God who's ridiculously generous to human eyes, who gives and gives and gives again beyond anything we would think was sensible or proportionate. It's meant to shock and challenge us, just as it did his first hearers. Of course, human beings are limited. We do have finite resources, but God isn't. We sometimes forget that, or never get our heads around it in the first place. That's why Christians have often been so determined to set boundaries on God's love, conditions they say people must meet to receive it, and to police those boundaries as if they're God's guardians, as if God needed guarding. They tell others that God will only love and accept them if they live in certain ways, observe certain rituals, believe certain doctrines, say certain prayers, belong to a certain group. Those who are on the receiving end of that sort of judgment often internalise it, convincing themselves that they deserve to be kept away. People tell me they aren't good enough to come to church. They tell me they aren't certain enough of their faith, that they might do the wrong thing or not do the right thing. They worry that because of something they've done or something that's happened to them, God really wouldn't want to be bothered with them. He wouldn't want to waste his time and his love on them. But all those assumptions rest on the idea that God's love is a scarce resource which has to be hoarded, rationed, doled out carefully after a proper risk assessment and a cost-benefit analysis to make sure it's not being thrown anywhere except the 100% pure and wholesome soil. This parable tells us otherwise. God's love is limitless. He's quite content to scatter it about with reckless abandon, on the off chance that a stray seed might find an unlikely overlooked pocket of soil to grow in. 
He doesn't need to hoard, guard or reserve it for those who can prove they know what to do with it. And we shouldn't try to do that on his behalf either. The ultimate demonstration of this reckless generosity is in his gift of Jesus to us, that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies at Calvary and is buried in a stony tomb, the unlikeliest of unlikely soil. And yet from that death comes resurrection and new life which is thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold greater, spreading out through the world and across the ages. God will win some and lose some as he scatters his seeds of love in our hearts and in our world. There'll be times when we don't respond, when our hearts are stony or choked with weeds, times when the seed never germinates at all. But it only takes one seed to grow to really make a difference. One plant can fill a field if you give it long enough. One act of kindness, one word of encouragement, one decision to trust in the goodness of God, to hope rather than to despair, can change our lives and the lives of everyone around us too. Our God is a God whose generosity is beyond anything we could ask or imagine. A God whose love is limitless. A God whose paths overflow with plenty, as the psalm reminded us. May we rejoice in that plenty and walk in those paths, generously giving as we have generously received. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, send down upon your church the riches of your spirit and kindle in all who minister the gospel your countless gifts of grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.